The last Metroid is in captivity. The galaxy is at peace. inspired by uh, the theme from uh, Super Metroid, which was a Super Nintendo game. The reason I chose that is because Super Metroid is uh, loosely based on Alien. Uh, it has similar themes and similar, uh, even some of the music you can kind of tell was inspired by Alien. And uh, that game just had a really big impact on me uh, in my youth. One of my favorite games that I still like to go back to and uh, go back and listen to the soundtrack. And apparently, I just found out it's still going strong. I saw a video they did a, they're doing speed runs and they got different versions of the game. So people are still playing it. It's it's that good good of a game. But yeah, I just want to throw that in there as a fun little nod to the movie Alien from the video game world. But let's get into it. So yeah, this is going to be about the uh, the Alien movie from 1979, directed by Ridley Scott. Um, and I don't want to make this intro too long, because the actual podcast is, the meat of it's pretty long, go into a lot of detail. Um, the only other thing I wanted to mention in this intro is, uh, hey, first of all, shout out to... Uh, I finally got some listeners from the UK. So shout out to my homies out there across the ocean. Hey, let me know what's up. So that's the other thing I wanted to say. Um, I made an email for this podcast. So if you guys want to send me either ideas for future podcast episodes or you got comments on any of my other podcasts, or you just want to ask me general questions about anything, I'm pretty much willing to answer almost anything. So shoot them over. Especially you people out there in the UK, let me know. Let me know. Uh, I just want to hear from you, you guys because, I don't know, I just think it's really cool. I started this thing. I really had no expectations for it. I'm not saying I have a bunch of listeners, but... There's people out there, I have no idea who you are, and you're all listening to me. And I don't know why. <laughs> I'm trying to figure it out. But yeah, that email is going to be uh, WTF Do I Know Podcast. All one word at ProtonMail. P R O T O N M A I L dot com. And you're like, Jimmy, why'd you use ProtonMail? Why don't you just make a Gmail? You know what? Because I'm tired of supporting freaking Google. And giving them all my information. 
Alright, you know they're scanning all your shit and just putting it into their AI. The beast. Anyways, I don't want to go too far down that rabbit hole. But yeah, that's my email for the podcast, so uh, shoot me an email. Let me know what's up, and uh, that's about it for the intro. Let's uh, let's just go ahead and get into it. Let's get into the meat and potatoes. Uh, Alien, 1979. Let's go. Alright, so in this episode of What the Fuck Do I Know, we're going to break down uh, the movie Alien, 1979. One of my favorite movies ever, really. Probably in my top ten. Possibly in my top five. I don't know about top three. But if we're doing just sci-fi, it's in top three for sure. Um, starting off, first of all, if you haven't, if you haven't seen Alien, the original one, cause there's, there's f- four or five in the first quadrilogy, I guess, but then they got the, the prequels, Prometheus and Alien Covenant. They're supposed to have a bunch of, uh. Other comics and other kinds of offshoots, and like it's a it's a very deep universe. And apparently Disney just bought it, and they're gonna start coming out with their own alien con or content. But there's gonna be nothing but spoilers in this thing. So if you haven't seen it, uh, I would say stop this and watch it first, because it's meant for. It's kind of meant for someone who's at least in it once. Besides that, if you try to listen to this and you have no idea what the movie is, then none of it's going to really make sense. So just putting out that, that out in the front. But let's get into some more details from the movie. So this movie didn't come out. Well, it came out in 1979, but I didn't see it till I was maybe, maybe about 18, if not early 20s, but I think I'd seen it before, before that. Uh, So I was a little older, actually, when I saw it, and uh, I had seen the sequel, Aliens, with an S. I had seen that one before, maybe not all the way through, but I'd seen a bunch of clips of it or whatever through TV or going to someone's house. It's not like today where you can just request it on the TV now or YouTube or whatever. So I I caught a few parts of Aliens and I liked it. And... So when I saw the the first one, it definitely had a different tone compared to the second one. The second one's done by James Cameron, and that one's more of an action movie, more than anything, I would say. I mean, it has all the elements. It does continue the story, and it is a, it's a great movie in itself. I really like it. 
two. But nowadays, uh, I I think eight, the first one, Alien, is actually the. I think it's the best one out of all of them. But then again, I'm also I kind of like I always like origin stories or like the first first movie or what whatever. Not always though, because in term in, when I'm thinking about Terminator, which I'm gonna. That might do the be the other movie I do a review of. Uh, Terminator Two, which, man, I've seen that so many times. But that's another story. Anyway, so I didn't see the first Alien until yeah later on, and I think at the time I wasn't really I was more about action. When I was a little younger. But watching it a few times afterwards, I started to appreciate like the uh, kind of like the slowness of it not so much explosions and gunshots it's more it's it's more creepy I think to me it definitely had more of a, a horror vibe where the other ones had more like uh, yeah just action it was still sci-fi but and really, the I don't really even like the the third and the fourth one. They're kind of. Mm, I think one of the biggest flaws out of the later ones was uh, the heavy use of CGI. That's what I felt. Um, and it, this was before maybe like CGI was good enough, because in Alien Covenant, which came out a couple years ago the latest one in the franchise uh they were they had some cgi aliens in there too but they they looked pretty good i uh i could accept it but it, when you go back and you look, watch like i forget which one it is three or four i think it's the fourth one resurrection because i think i felt like it, it went down in quality as it went like one was the best and then two two is still good i'll still watch it it's a great it's a great action movie and then three i was kind of like eh. and then four i was like they're kind of just milking it at this point so i just i kind of just pretend one and two are it really and just kind of ignore the other ones kind of similar they do the same or the directors and then me also with Terminator. One and two are real. The rest of them are kind of... Those are just possibilities. But... But also... The the prequels are really good too. And I think all that has to do with the director. Because Ridley Scott, who... I'll go in a little bit into him in a different section, but... He did one, James Cameron did two, I don't even know who did three and four. And then Prometheus and Alien Covenant were also Ridley Scott. And when I saw those movies, I, the first time I saw them, I was kind of like, eh, I, I wanted, I just wanted to see more, more Alien. I want to see more Xenomorph. And they kind of, they kind of had it, but it was like the beginning. It was more about the stories in those. 
And the story is actually really good. And those movies are, I really like them. But in the end, the first and original is still like, I don't know, just iconic. It's always going to stick in my head for, for, for what it was at the time. Um, especially the, uh, the special effects. And when you hear into what all went into making this, these aliens, it's pretty, uh, it's pretty interesting. They got a bunch of, uh, artists and like robot and makeup people who are like high up in the kind of the scene and they had some interesting characters. Like uh, like Geiger, H.R. Geiger, who did did most of like the art and kind of designed the concept of the alien. Dude was pretty weird. Really cool art. Really kind of kind of disturbing art. But his touch, I think, is what really helped the movie have its its I don't know dark artistic edge. So, I just watched it before uh, recording this, this uh, intro part. And I just went through it just to uh, see if I can catch any other little things. And so I wrote down some of these notes, some of these interesting things that I, I caught watching it again. And since I was already pretty familiar, I was able to just pay attention to what they were saying or the backgrounds and little details like that. Now, if you've only seen the movie maybe once, you probably just think uh, it's a movie about, you know, they go into outer space and something happens and they end up finding this alien, which is turns out to be like a monster and it kind of you could kind of think of it just like a monster flick it goes around killing all the people and then something happens and somebody survives and you know they kill the bad guy at the end blah 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 if you've seen it more than that then you kind of you kind of start to get the the hints that it's actually also about AI and trusting computers and actually it also goes into uh, like the evil or corruptness of uh, corporations, big corporations and like the military industrial complex scientist folks because if you watch it for a few times you, you end up realizing that the whole mission that they go on is actually a setup. Like the whole movie is actually a setup by the corporation, Wayland, named after the the creator. Obviously, uh, you kind of you can see you can see who he is. Kind of if you watch Prometheus, they show uh, the original Wayland guy who develops these AIs and these robots. And that one, he's given like a TED talk and he kind of 
I kind of got like a like a like a Elon Musk Musk type of like billionaire dude. That's the type of vibe I got from him. Anyways, so yeah, if you watch it a few times, you 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 can see it from a different angle. From the first time you watch it, you just think, oh yeah, uh, the alien's gonna come out. It's gonna kill. Me. That's all you're you're kind of more about that, but. Pay attention a little bit more. If you see it from a different angle, you'll realize that all the little quirks that happen with machines or Ash, who's one of the characters who ends up you don't you don't even realize he's a robot till like halfway through the movie. That was like one of the crazy surprise parts. But they also interact with this uh, mother. And that's the the like the AI that controls the the ship that they're on the Nostromo, and you'll see through the the whole thing they end up kind of clashing with these these android this android and this AI, and later on you you come to find out that the whole thing that the Wayland Corporation actually sent them out and that that's getting the alien was actually the the prime objective it wasn't that they they got a a signal and they went to go investigate because at the beginning of the movie you can see they're very like confused as to why they're in a they're supposed to be like heading home they were almost home and they end up turning and going to like a different galaxy or something supposedly they go to Zeta to Reticuli but the whole thing was that was the the actual mission all along and you kind of know that because when Dallas the captain is talking about when Ash came in the the android he was like a last minute sub in, and you realize that Ash knows the plan the whole time So, overall, you, you can think of it as just a movie about a monster, which it is. Uh, and it has a lot of, the movie has a lot of sexual overtones, which is kind of interesting. And then, um, yeah, like I said, if you watch it a few times, it becomes, I feel like the, the moral of the story ends up kind of being, hey humans watch out because if you trust in AI and you trust in computers and you trust in big corporations who seem to have an obsession more with weapons and control and they're you you see how they're willing to sacrifice a whole crew to get their to get their weapon And one of my theories is that actually, I might have gotten this from somewhere, but that the alien is actually a, a weapon made by Wayland. And when they send these ships out, it's more of a, they're trying to see how the, the these humans and crews that they send out will fare with the alien. 
basically they're running tests on their alien that the the alien species might be just the ultimate weapon the ultimate weapon to kill any civilization or living thing and so the what I was saying is that the moral of the story would be like be careful because if you trust in AI computers and the corporations they might be obsessed with weapons and making contact with aliens but when they actually make contact with these so-called aliens could end up being the death of us and I've I think that's what the xenomorph represents, which I'll get into, but to me, it, repre it definitely represents death. It, looking at the symbology of them. So one of the first notes I put down when I just watched it was that um, when they're calling out their ship, trying to make contact, the ship's name is Nostromo. And it says that they're that they're either from or that they're coming from the Solomons, Nostromo of the Solomons. Which uh, I, I put a that's stuck out to me because I had been looking into because I hear about Solomon a lot, Solomon's Temple, and so I was like, who the hell is Solomon? And then I also thought he was. Just a character off of uh, Lord of the Rings. But this Solomon dude, apparently he is... He's the one that built the, the first temple. And... Uh, he's kind of the one that gave... Uh, he was the son of David. And he's... Apparently he's the one that popularized the... Uh, the Star of David as a symbol for the Jews. Now, what's interesting about this dude is that uh, he's kind of looked at as a as a positive character, but he he's an interesting character because he apparently he had a thousand wives, and. Uh, he had all these people giving him tons of gold and he just had all this gold stored up. Uh, and also he, he's most famous because he knew how to summon demons and he could, he knew the names of all the demons and he could call upon them and, but he had the power to control them. And supposedly he used some of these demons and uh, their special abilities to to build the the temple. So I was like, oh, so like this dude is looked at as a good guy, but he's got a bunch of wives, and he loves gold, and he's always fucking around with demons. Doesn't seem. I felt like would would the church approve of this guy? He doesn't seem to be, I don't know. Like if you're a godly person, do you want a bunch of gold? So I just thought that was weird. 
that's a side story though let's get back into the uh, the actual movie interesting little side note I just thought I I had to explain it because I mean I wrote it down and I said it but if you didn't know that well then it wouldn't make much sense yeah who cares but uh He'll be coming, Solomon will show up in some other episodes, I'm, I'm sure. I got an interesting feeling about it. The next little note that I thought was interesting was that when they're trying to call out and make radio contact with some somebody from Earth, first they tried Houston, and then they tried Antarctica. And for the most part, they were trying to make contact with Antarctica. So I guess I was like, hmm. So I guess the next uh, base or whatever for like the spacefaring race in the company Wayland is going to be based out of Antarctica. Well, what am I trying to say? I don't know. One of my whole things, even from like the first episode, is I'm I'm telling them there's something up with Antarctica. And. I'll probably never figure it out, but I'm gonna I'm 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 coming up with the theory. I'll have to save that for the Antarctica episode. Who knows when that'll happen? The next little note is when they're getting to the planet that they're going to, uh it has a big ring around it, which made me think of Saturn. So I took it as hmm, they're going to Saturn they're gonna find the alien at Saturn the next note I have which I kind of mentioned in the intro is that when you watch it knowing that the uh, the computer the AI the whatever uh, the Android and that they're actually they're purposely sabotaging the mission and when they're landing on the planet for the first time you hear loud like sound and something goes wrong with the ship and nobody under can understand why at first I guess the first time I saw that I was like well maybe they something hit them in the atmosphere because the atmosphere is kind of rough but I actually think that was purposeful to kind of have them in a in a weakened spot so that they can accomplish the first the primary mission which is to bring the alien back and watching it again just watch the way that uh, ash acts throughout the whole thing and he obvious and the little like smart comments he makes uh, you can when you watch it again and knowing that he knows his little comments make more sense and his actions too. Also the fact that Dallas at first until he dies and then uh, then Ripley gets uh, control of Mother but Mother never wants to give them this is supposed to be some advanced AI but when they ask almost, they try to ask it basic questions and it always comes back with like can't compute or not enough information 
that gives little messages like that. So it's giving them nothing, but that's because they they can't disclose they can't disclose anything because it'll give away what the real mission is, and they have to keep that a secret. So a lot of the also later on when Ash builds them a uh, he builds them a motion tracker to kind of sense where the alien is at and uh, you realize that too it ended up giving false information at a vital point which led to Dallas's death and so the whole thing is that he might have he might have made it to where those that motion sensor was actually working against them and getting them to get closer to it instead of away from it. And Ripley had a feeling something was up. She kind of questions it uh, on that part. Also, when they get the, the transmission, which is the whole reason they changed their route, uh, Ripley ends up decoding it. Well, first she asks, asks how come he didn't run it through this whatever program, E-I-I-U something. Anyways, it, it was supposed to help translate it, but Ash didn't want to. Probably because obviously he knew about it already. He knew what the transmission was. He didn't want to let them in on it. But they kind of decode that, hey, it's not a SOS, that it's actually a warning. But the warning is too late because by then, the other crew members, um, Kane, who is the commanding officer of like the ship, and he's the one that ends up getting the face hugger on him, and kind of, he's the one that brings the alien to the crew. Interesting that they used another biblical name, Cain, who uh, most famous for murdering his brother. So some say he might actually be that he might actually like have come from Lucifer, the devil, or more Lucifer in that story. That maybe he had sex with uh, Eve. And then had uh, Cain. Were they twins? I don't know. I'm going to have to go back and read that part again. But that's just a different version of uh, some of the Bible stories I've been looking back into. So in this one, it's possible that the fruit wasn't just something they ate but something that they a pleasure they could have participated in which could have led to uh cain interesting um so yeah they get that warning but by that time the other people are down they're actually in the ship already and when they're in the ship the whole ship kind of has a very biomechanical feel to it. Like in the first scene when they're walking through it, it to me it looks like they're walking through like a rib cage. Like a rib cage, but kind of made out of metal. 
it definitely it doesn't have like a like a, when you see the inside the ship that the humans have like everything's real angular and real I don't know how to explain it but just me mechanical like straight mechanical everything's real boxy but inside the alien ship everything has curves and everything's kind of rounded and really, I was trying to look at it kind of closer, but there's part of the writ within the first scene that they're walking through the ship. The, bar the bottom part of the ribs actually look like a bunch of dicks. Like, I didn't catch this till this last time I watched it. I was like, what the hell? The size of that looks like dicks. Which it probably was, because that was like H.R. Geiger's thing, having like weird black creatures with and like backgrounds of penises everywhere and vagina lips flapping and teeth and some really weird shit so it probably was meant to look like penises uh, I watched the, the making of aliens and they kind of somebody talks about that that they go onto the set and it's real phallic and the eggs, the eggs that the aliens are in, they, they kind of look like a weird vagina. <laughs> like a weird, like, four-lipped vagina that opens up. Uh, yeah, the, like I said, the super strong sexual overtones in this movie. I, I can dig it. I kind of like it. So just to kind of bring you back to what's what's happening in the movie. So they get the transmission. They kind of crash land on this planet. They don't want to, but they have to because it's part of the protocol. Um, and they send three guys down. They go into the alien ship where the signal's coming out of. Even though um, the ship looks like it's dead, but somehow it's transmitting this... Uh, transmission and it does have some sort of power because when they go in there and they go into the egg layer there's like this laser hovering above all the eggs and it, it looks freaking cool they use a bunch of fog kind of like old techniques and like but I don't know lasers just like freaking cool but I think what happens is when um Kane passes through, he ends up falling through that little laser that, that's like a motion sensor or something that activated the the face huggers. So in some way that this ship was sending out a message, but it even though the the, the pilots are dead or whatever, it's still like protecting these eggs like these eggs are the most valuable cargo it has I guess giving you in insight to what that that whole thing's supposed to be um, they go into that into the in the prequels kinda I just can't r remember it's been a few months since I've seen the movies and if I'm gonna really talk about it I have to watch it pretty recently or else I'm just I'm gonna start making stuff up like I probably probably already did but 
Anyway, back to the story. They go in there. They go in the ship. They find the thing. Oh, but first they find the uh, the space jockey. Like this is one of the big scenes. They go into this room and it looks all it looks real big and crazy. And you see like a like a super ancient skeleton of this big creature. But it's a humanoid creature. Um, made me instantly think of like uh, the giants, the mighty men of the old, the sons of the Nephilim, who might be aliens themselves. But so yeah, they call this thing Space Jockey, and uh, apparently he got attacked by one of the aliens because his throat is ripped open. And the prequels are supposed that's supposed to be the main focus, figuring out who these engineers are. Because in Prometheus, one of them sacrifices himself and puts his DNA in like the in, in, in our ancient past. And that we I guess what they're saying is that we are the offspring of these things. Which is kind of like the, kind of like the belief of, uh, I don't know what to call them, the, the elite people, the elite bloodlines. They believe they're, they're descendants from these ancient, superior, alien, god things, demons, maybe, titans little G gods who knows but so when they go into the room they see this thing one of the most interesting and like eye catching things is that uh, the space jockey is kind of he's got his he's in this chair and the chair is actually like melded into him so like the uh, the whole like technology and organic like inner in like com the combination is real heavy it's with the ship and the look of the engineers when he's in this in this chair whatever this thing is because it seems like he's connected into like it's a control seat but he's connected into it but like actually connected into it if you know what i mean like He's got all these, it looks like weird tubes and wires coming out of him. And it's going into this big old gun. Which the gun also has another uh, phallic feel to it. Kind of looks like a, a big old dick is pointing in the engineer's face. Uh, people don't know if it's like a, a weapon or like a... Actually, when I watched it this last time, the the feeling I got was that this is some. It, it was this was like the first thought I had that it was actually he gets in this chair and it connects to him like a cerebro, like Professor X when he puts on cerebro, and he looks through this thing that kind of looks like a gun, but I think it's more like a telescope and. I imagine that he would... This is not part of the story. This is just what I kind of made my own story. 
that he looks through this thing and targets uh, another planet, another star system, and that he actually shoots out his conscience through that and is able to influence from like a totally different realm or planet. They're supposed to release another movie and they're supposed to explain all this and circle around. But this is my theory. The other theory I had after that, I was like, well, I don't know if it does that. That's just kind of what I thought. What if it could also actually shoot out uh, the eggs? Because underneath this thing is the layer and that thing is full of uh, all the alien eggs. I was like, what if it shoots these? He like, that's like a big old telescope targeting thing. And then he just shoots out these eggs. Maybe they cover up, covering, cover them up in like an asteroid or something. Or like rock or something, or crystal. Aim it at a planet, boom, shoot it out. Whichever planet they need to take out, they just aim this thing and send down an egg. And it just kills the planet. And then they come and reap the the resources off of it. Who knows, I guess eventually it'll be explained, but if I'm right, that'd be cool. Uh, it also gave me, uh, I don't know, I wrote down panspermia. I guess because it made me think about w thinking about either sh shooting his, uh, shooting the eggs out into the galaxy or whatever, because that's kind of what the scientists now are leading towards that. Maybe we came from what's called panspermia, obviously. That maybe bacteria was like on a asteroid and came down to earth and then that's actually what gave us life. Uh, who, who knows, right? I don't, I don't, I don't really buy it, but, and right now science is kind of at a weird point where they're, they're slowly coming out and admitting that, yeah, there might be life out there, but they're not fully out there, but it's heading towards that way. And I think this panspermia idea is just going to become, my prediction is that it's going to become more and more popular more widely believed and that eventually they are going to come out with this other story about the the gods the Anunnaki who supposedly made us uh, if you get into like the whole Zechariah Sitchin thing which eh, I, I don't know if I really buy all that either Somebody said they saw Zechariah Sitchin in a meeting with reptilians. So I don't trust him. <laughs> uh, but then I don't even... I don't even know if I buy the whole reptilian thing. I mean, maybe. The way they're described, they sound like demons. And I kind of think demons are real. Maybe they're one and the same. It's kind of what I'm... The more I'm looking into it, it's kind of what I'm leaning towards. But 
Oh, another interesting thing. So when they look at the um, egg, at one point you see there's like a there's a black goo, a black liquid that comes out of them. And on the egg, it kind of like moves in a weird direction. Uh, the reason I wrote that down is because there's something about black goo. Uh, if it reminded me of the uh, the X Files, and one of the big reoccurring thing is that these alien MIB dude would like infect people with this black goo and the black goo would like take over you and it also reminded me of spider-man because spider-man had the same thing the symbiote which ends up making venom but when it first gets on him it's a it's a black goo a black goo from outer space that comes down interesting in the spider-man thing when the black goo takes over him he becomes evil it unleashes a different side of them. And I tried looking for this, but man, maybe about 10 years ago, there was this video on YouTube about a lecture, this dude from Germany, and he was talking about this black goo. And that it was just called black, like the science of black goo or something. And it was so trippy. He, he was giving this talk, like a mini TED talk to these people. It was probably just some like UFO conference or something. But he had video of this stuff that he had collected, this black goo or whatever. And he would like put frequencies on it. And it started like forming different shapes. It was, it was a trippy video. The, the doctor had a really weird name. I, I, there's no way I'm going to remember. If I do, I'll have to let y'all know. But this was a... Man, this is when YouTube was good. Now everything's censored and fact-checked or whatever. But who's checking the fact-checkers and they only want you to buy, like... I want, I want some weird... I want to hear the weird shit, man. Let me decide if I believe it or not. My whole thing is not to believe in anything. Because everything I used to believe in, uh, I don't anymore. Realizing every, everything's kind of a lie. There's, there's half-truths and everything's mixed up and history's been rearranged and told differently than what it really is. And in the end, all I really know is uh, you know, what I've known, what I've lived through and what I've seen and what I feel. Uh, but yeah, black goo. There's something to this black goo. I don't know what it is, but there's something to it. So another couple notes I put down as I was watching it again. Uh, that Ash ends up breaking the quarantine procedure. That Ripley was, was like, hey, we can't bring this thing on the ship. But Ash breaks that rule. And that makes Ripley kind of start double guessing Ash's intentions. But watch it, watching it, knowing what his intentions are, you understand why he did that. And also, when Kane 
has the the face hugger on him parker the engineer dude keeps asking how come they how come they won't freeze him uh, which seemed like that would have been standard procedure but ash doesn't want to do that and i think that's because ash already he acts surprised about what happens but i think he already has foreknowledge of how the these these aliens work and he knew that it was its first stage um because he's he's helping it along his whole thing is that's like that's his whole thing um and that's why they end up not freezing him because he has to let finish letting the alien gestate and pop out and go into his next form Uh, the next note I had is I realized when um, Ash is at the uh, computer the AI of the ship Mother when he's at Mother that right above it you see kind of like uh, the winged the winged disc which is made famous in, in Egypt the, the winged disc uh, symbol above the computer which going off the top of my head I think is supposed to represent Osiris but it could also be Horus or Ra uh, or it could be Isis also the female so in Egyptian time the, the, the trinity was Osiris aka the father Horus the sun but then they also had uh, Isis who was the, the feminine part of the spirit which Christianity ended up switching with the Holy Spirit so they had the father, the son and the Holy Spirit but back in Egyptian days it was the father the, the mother and the son to me kind of makes more sense if we're talking about as above so below how do you make a you combine two opposite energies to make a new one but it was the first time that I noticed that was the, the logo on the mother which now thinking about now I just saying it probably does more represent Isis the other interesting thing is that the whole movie Ellen Ripley, it's kind of a, 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 I guess you could say a feminist movie. Like it definitely, it, the main character is a woman and she's a super strong woman. And I think it's one of the best feminist, do I want to call it feminist? I don't know. I don't know why I'm worried about saying that. But in the end, it's it's an empowering movie because it's not the freaking swole dude like Arnold Schwarzenegger taking taking him out. It's uh it's a woman and uh, she's relatable. And um, that's one of the funny things watching it that I realized how how right uh, Ripley was the whole time. She, from the start, had a weird feeling about the whole thing from the start. 
And I think that's like uh, showcasing the uh, like woman's intuition. Like they're supposed to have that ability to be like a little more spiritual and kind of they get a better feel for stuff. She's definitely the first one that gets a bad feeling from Ash. And nobody else sees it yet. They're like, no, no, don't question him. He's just the, he's the science guy. He's a, he's just fact-based. He's just doing the best for whatever. But Ripley has a feeling about him. She knows something's up. But nobody really listens to her. And she was the one that wanted to do the quarantine because that was standard procedure. And who, who breaks it? Ash. And they end up having a... Well, that'll be later. I'll get to it because these I wrote down these notes as I was watching it, so it's kind of sequential. Um, oh, that winged sun logo is also... It's actually on all their jackets. I didn't realize that till this last time I watched it. So lots of... Uh, lots of Greek and... Uh, more Greek but some Egyptian references throughout this movie so now the next scene uh, pretty much or the next big thing that happens is the uh, the chest burster scene which is what the whole franchise is that's this scene that you think about when you think about the movie um they talk about in the making of it, which that's actually free. If you go on YouTube and look for like the making of Alien, you can see it for free. Um, but yeah, they go into uh, how that when they were first showing it in the theaters, a lot that like ushers were fainting and people were going out and they would like just go throw up. That it was having a real like visceral effect on people and actually this last time that I watched it it had a visceral effect on me even though I had seen it I already knew it was coming but what tripped me out is I'll, this time I was watching the movie with headphones like really good headphones and so I was able to hear the soundtrack a lot better way more details in the soundtrack and right before um, the the thing burst out of Kane's chest, his voice, he starts screaming, but then the screams start getting really, uh, the, the, t the pitch of them starts going down. And it starts getting like, uh, the screams don't even sound human anymore. They kind of sound more. I mean, I really had no way other way to describe it, but what what you think of like as demonic when you hear a demonic voice in movies and stuff, it's always a low, like a you you'll know what I mean. And the only thing is, you might not be able to hear it in, unless you put on headphones. Because I'd seen it multiple times and. I don't think I ever got that vibe, but this time with the headphones, I was like, whoa, that was kind of... A part of me thought for a second, I was like, what if they actually recorded a demon 
and put that audio into a movie. And what I was listening to, what if that was a real demon screaming? It freaking creeped me out. But then I'm always creeping myself out with stupid thought like stupid thoughts like that. But yeah, also when Cain about to uh, the the chest burst right before it comes out, Cain starts like seizuring and like moving around all, and he's he's screaming, and then you hear like demonic screams. And then it looks like he's possessed. He starts like sticking his tongue out and like wiggling it. And like he's in this like really weird position. And uh, I have a story about my friend getting possessed. But I want to say that maybe for, I want to save that for its own episode. He didn't actually look all crazy like that, but some other crazy stuff happened. But anyways, yeah, so he starts screaming. You hear these demonic fucking screams in the headphones. Then he looks like he's possessed. And right before that, that's when the chest burster, burster, is that what it's called? The chest burster comes out and just blood is splattered everywhere. I was like, whoa. And then just looks around. Then screeches off his face. Everyone's just like, what the fuck? They don't even know how to react at first. It's a crazy scene. One of the other things I took a note of uh, when they finally end up uh, throwing Kane out into outer space because he could be infected or whatever. They're they have to get rid of his body. They, uh, yeah, they wrap him up like a mummy. He looks just like a mummy. Um, and then they eject him. And right before they eject him, they show, uh, these like three computer screens. Well, it's actually four, four little computer screens that have, uh, X's on them. But also has like a hexagonal looking. It's not a circle because it's not a perfect circle, but it looks like a circle. And I'll get into this into other episodes, but basically you can think you can think of the X as a uh, as a symbol for death. That's why when cartoons they would die, you'd see two X's on their eyes. But with the circle around it, that's also like that's been known as the mark of the beast an X in in the circle I just thought it was interesting that because it's only for a second like most people probably aren't even catching this but right before they eject Kane you see red X's everywhere and it launches them out and I really Scott put that in there he put that in there for a reason he's not the kind of Director that like just puts stuff in for whatever every little second. I mean, if I imagine if I was him and trying to be a perfectionist, you'd watch the movie over and over and over and analyze every little scene before you decide to put it out. I would think that's what you have to do. I've never made a major budget film, so I don't know. 
but I think they do that. The next note that I marked is that, uh, again, when uh, Ripley is questioning Ash because Ash makes these motion sensors for them, and she asks them, like, what's it key off of? Like, how, how do they work? And you can tell Ash usually, because he's an android, he doesn't usually show emotion, but you see him actually get frustrated. And he's frustrated because she's, the bitch is asking too much fucking questions. He's like, just fuck. But she's asking because she knows, she's like, what? He made a tracker for these things? Like, off of... She was like, well, how does this thing even work? And uh, he, he ends up saying something like, uh, oh man, I forgot exactly what he said. Like micro pressures, micro pressure differences in the air or something. And like in the next scene, Ripley's like, micro pressures, like such bullshit. Oh, I forgot to mention, yeah, when the uh, chest pressure comes out, and you see his teeth, he's got, to me, it looked like metal teeth. They're like silvery. And he opens up his little teeth and he's just like, yeah. I was like, damn, he's got some. The only people I knew who had silver teeth that looked like that were like uh, little kids who were bisons. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Maybe it's just the where I grew up, but it was always like the little the little poor uh, Mexican kid. He had like a, a silver tooth, always. Uh, and now that reminds me of uh, a killer alien. Maybe it's because they were a oh. All right, I don't need to go there. Uh, when the alien comes out, Ash does say or. It, Later on, um, at some point, Ash ends up calling uh, the alien Kane's son. I think that's when Parker came back and was like, that son of a bitch is big, it's grown. And Ash seems kind of like proud. He's just like, oh yes, Kane's son. Uh, this next part actually didn't, I kind of didn't understand this but uh Ripley finds Ash again but he's malfun I felt like he was being taken over by mother maybe mother or, or I don't understand why but he he, he started like sweating milk <laughs> he was like sweating milk and he he was like having some kind of like robotic seizure. And I'm like what the, f the hell? I still don't understand that part. Maybe there's something I'm missing. But he's about to. He ends up. Uh, oh, because this is. Now I remember. This is when Ripley isn't. Is that mother? And he ends. She ends up. Finding out the whole back that the real plan was to bring the alien back to Earth and not that the crew was expendable. And at that moment, Ash appears. And then uh, 
yeah, he starts like having that weird meltdown or whatever that was supposed to represent. And this is another thing that I only caught because I was listening to the movie on these headphones. Is that uh, right before he starts attacking Ripley, he uh, he giggles. Which is unusual for Ash. Like he doesn't, he really doesn't. He'll smile, but he really doesn't laugh. He doesn't show emotion because he's an android. But right before he starts attacking Ripley, he giggles like a like a like a little girl or something. Like he <laughs> and then he moves on to attacking Ripley. So Ash starts uh like pimp slapping uh ripley he gives her a couple backhands uh and then like throws her across the room and knocks her unconscious and uh this is kind of a this is kind of like another weird part he uh he puts he like throws Ripley up on this table and she's kind of like unconscious but her mouth is open and so Ash ends up grabbing like a magazine or like a yeah it's like a magazine and kind of like rolls it into like a tube and then he goes to jam it down Ripley's mouth so it gave me a weird oral rapey kind of vibe I was like it's kind of uncomfortable also because why is he why why is he why did he want to do that to her I mean if you just wanted to kill her he's got the strength he could have just like smashed her head or choked her or done something but instead his his logical AI mind tells him to roll up a magazine and stuff it down her mouth. And during this scene, it's also uh, when he's doing this action, there's like a porn in the background. Like all these like uh, pictures of naked chicks. I guess it's a, it's supposed to be the, like the little dorm room of something of one of the guys and he just put up all these pictures because he's in space and he's lonely and he has to jerk off at night I guess to these pictures that he's got hanging over his bunk but anyways they put it in this scene and so it's evoking I just thought it was weird because it's it's invoking a a sexual response in a sexual attack scene so like even though he's doing something like pretty fucked up you, at the same time it's showing you like you're seeing boobies and like if you're a kid you're it's like stimulating you like if you're a little kid and you're, you know you're not supposed to see the boobies there's a scene where there's some boobies you're like oh ooh but it's also the scene where this robot is basically raping a woman so 
yeah, well, you, it starts <laughs> it starts mixing up those those uh, vibes or the those two scenes, and it's. I just I thought it was interesting that that uh, I guess uh, the director decided to put that in there. It's probably done for a reason. I was, and so I was trying to think of what the reason for that, and that was my guess. It's uh, it wants to evoke that response, the like fear, but also sex, and then also trying to trying to murder, trying to kill. Because he he was trying to kill her, but just in this fucking weird way. And so, uh, luckily for Ripley, the, the rest of the crew finds finds her while she's getting attacked, and uh, Parker ends up s- smashing Ash's head off, and like milk starts squirting everywhere. Um, yeah, why the milk? Why has it got to be milky? White and milky. Hmm. Yeah, that's kind of part still didn't make sense. I was like, wouldn't it be more like oil or like mechanical grease or something? Anyways, he knocks the head off this fucking ash and they're like, holy fuck, it's a fucking android. Which the first time you watch it, it's it's a trip. Because you really have no idea. You're like, oh shit. Just like the crew didn't. Once you see his, you see his head get knocked off, and still fucking moving around. You know, what the fuck. Apparently, that was another scene that made a bunch of people like faint and shit. At least according to their mythology. Uh, so they 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 bring Ash back to life and. Um, because they want to figure out how to kill the alien. And as he's talking about it, they start realizing that, like, you know, he, you like, you admire it, don't you? You admire the alien. And he basically is like, yeah, it's a perfect organism. That I admire its purity. A survivor. Unclouded by conscience, remorse, or delusions of morality. So him as an AI, he, I guess he relates to the alien because the, just like that, just like him, the alien doesn't have remorse. It doesn't have empathy. It just, it just is. And it just does what's most, what it needs to do for it to survive. I think that's kind of what the AI is is aspires to be as well which do I don't know if we have AI like that yet but I mean they're trying to get there that's that's known that's for sure that they're trying to get there uh, and then he's kind of being a dick and he's kind of teasing them because he's like well good luck but you know he didn't mean it he was being sarcastic he 
he was like, y'all are gonna die, basically. And they end up burning his, uh, his face with uh, the flamethrower. And so I guess in the end, the uh, ash burns in hell. His AI soul goes to hell and he burns. Well, I guess if he's AI, he doesn't have a soul. But they show him burning and that's how he dies, which I thought, okay, death by fire. Um, the next thing I noticed is that uh, this is when closer to the end when she's she's going to make the thing self-destruct when she goes to start the self-destruct sequence I paused the movie and I looked at all these uh, buttons because it wasn't just like A, B, C, D, E, F, G it had all these uh it had like weird words like uh, I don't even remember like into and then like FAL and then like run and then one of another one had the O and the X again one of the buttons shit said Shakti excess and some of the other buttons had what looked to be like runes or like Hebrew script or like ancient symbols. I don't know. I, I saw all the weird little buttons and I just looked it up, looked at them for a little bit and just thought that was interesting. If that means anything, I don't know. I'd have to look more into the individual things, but if I'm right that like everything is put in there for a reason, then they must have done that for a reason. Um, and the last note I have is just that uh, at the end, the final scene, the xenomorph, he gets launched out the spaceship. Then he goes into the afterburner, whatever that thing is, and uh, she turns it on and burns him. So the xenomorph also burns in hell like a demon should. After all, maybe that's what he was. And then the movie ends. So in this next part, I'm just going to go into more details, but not so much about the storyline in the movie. This is more like uh, about the background of how they made it, who made it, some of the people that were involved, and just some interesting little factoids like that. Um, the first thing, and most of this stuff can be found on Wiki, but... Some of it also was found in watching the the making of Alien documentary. I also got the Alien um, animated, like, uh, what do they call this thing? Basically the comic 
graphic novel, they call it. But, I mean, it's not that long. It, to me, it, I'm not sure, but I don't think it, it's long enough to be called a novel, but it's a graphic novel. It's actually really good. It's almost a, an exact copy of the movie. Um, but it, it's like in comic book style. And the, and the art in it's really good. Um, you can find this thing for like, I think it was like 12, at the most 15 bucks on Amazon. Uh, and it's pretty cool. And it helped me actually, like, because you ba you're basically reading the script. So uh, through that and then, yeah, just other random things I found. So let's start off with the uh, the awards. So when it came out, apparently the first two, the first one or two screenings weren't that good, but that's because they didn't have the sound right. Which I thought was interesting is because when I watched it recently and I was using the headphones, yeah, the sound makes a huge difference in how you feel or how the movie goes. So that's what they said. That's why the first one was, uh, wasn't was right and that Ridley Scott was pissed off because like two of the speakers were out during the thing and it just didn't hit as hard. But after that, it became a big success. It got the uh, Academy Award for Best Visual Effects that year. Um, three Saturn Awards. Interesting, I really hadn't even... Until I looked into this, I didn't know there was Saturn Awards. But they give these out for like the science fiction and horror genres. Interesting, they put those two together. Uh, but this one had a Best Science Fiction Film. Best Director for Scott and Best Supporting Actress. Uh, it also got a Hugo Award for Best Dramatic Presentation and a bunch of other nominations. Um, it's considered one of the greatest films of all time. Eh, even in the I guess up to now that's what they're saying. And you know what? I agree with them. I agree with that statement. So, in 2002, Alien was deemed culturally, historically, and aesthetically significant by the Long Library of Congress and selected for preservation in the United States National Film Registry. Interesting. So, this thing made uh, such an impact. Congress was like, hey, we, we got to recognize this thing. Hmm. Okay. And in... 2008, ranked by the American Film Institute as the seventh best film in science fiction genre, and as the 33rd greatest film of all time by Empire. 33rd, huh? Okay. Um. Yeah, so it got a bunch of its award. It got its due respect, I think, because it's a dope movie. Next up, we got the director, Mr. Ridley Scott. So the first thing I want to mention about Ridley Scott is they named um, Ellen Ripley the main hero heroine of the movie. 
she basically has uh, the director's name Ridley but you kind of flip the D upside down it becomes Ripley which I think they did on purpose I don't think it just happened that she was named R Ripley and they got the director named Ridley but anyways this guy is uh, he's, I mean he's pretty legit definitely he's like a I would think a top tier director yeah, he's up there with the big boys, that's for sure. Especially looking down his um, filmography. Uh, and what's interesting is actually that Alien was his second film it's in 79. Before that, he had a movie called The Duelist in 77. Well, let's just do a, a quick rundown. So he came out Alien 79, then Blade Runner, another movie about android robots and intermingling with, with humans and then in 85 he did legend with uh, with our boy uh, what's his name with our boy Tom Cruise when he was young I actually think at the beginning of legend it doesn't even say Tom Cruise it says like I think it says it uses his real name. If I'm not mistaken, I think I remember that. But Legend was crazy because remember that in Legend they have a. They have what's his. Uh, is it Gary Oldman? Uh, who plays like uh, Satan? And he looks legit. Like he looks freaking scary. Like that's. And now, like when, when I think about uh, what the devil would look like. Uh, that's the image I that see the fucking red skin and big old horns. Uh, I feel like I need to go back and watch Legend again. I'll probably catch some more things. But anyways, back to his movie. So after that, he, someone to watch over me. Eighty-seven, Black Rain. Eighty-nine. I've never seen these. Thelma and Louise. I've seen parts of. It's pretty good from what I've seen. 1492, I don't know what that is. White Squall. Interesting that he did White Squall because uh, if you find out that uh, if you know anything about the Q movement, their whole thing is where we go one, we go all. That's their saying. And they actually got that from the movie White Squall, which I haven't seen, but I need to go back and check it out. Uh, that was 96 G.I. Jane in 97 which I hear people say that was like a big propaganda to get women to enlist in the military probably true 2000 he did Gladiator I mean come on what else can I say Gladiator it's in my top 10 Dope movie, amazing. How realistic or accurate it is is another thing, but overall, amazing movie. And the next year he comes back, Black Hawk Down. Well, he did Hannibal, and then he did. I mean, Hannibal was okay. It was good, but uh, I, I don't know. Somehow I think the the original one is better. You know me. I, I'm. I like the. I like the originals, the the origin stories. But anyways, after that, Black Hawk Down, another movie probably in my top ten also. 
as far as like action military movies I mean I could watch that thing especially when that came out so 2001 I was playing a lot of Counter-Strike which uh, if y'all don't know it's like a basically think of a metal what's the new, newer one Man, I feel so old oh my god uh, anyways, like it's basically a shooting game. You got your American guys and you got your terrorists, usually depicted as Middle Eastern dudes. And I was like hours, hours a day, come home and play that. So when Black Hawk Down came out, it was like a real life movie of Counter-Strike and it was the shit. Anyways, after that, he did Matchstick Men, Kingdom of Heaven, which I watched really long and I uh, felt like it was one of those uh, I probably got to watch this again and I started looking into the whole uh, the background of that the Crusades pretty interesting stuff so yeah Kingdom of Heaven 2005 2006 a good year 2007 American Gangster that was another pretty big movie um, I thought that movie was okay uh, Body of Lies in 08, Robin Hood 2010, 2012 comes out with Prometheus, which when I first saw it, I didn't like it, but then I saw it again, and I thought it was a lot better. The Counselor 2013, 2014 Exodus, Gods and Kings. Don't know what that is, but I'm going to probably go back and watch that. The Martian with... Uh, no, homeboy, you know his name. This guy's worked with like all the biggest actors in Hollywood, pretty much. 2017, Alien Covenant, and All the Money in the World. And, and apparently in 2021, he's coming out with the movie called Gucci. Because it's all Gucci, baby. But yeah, that's really Scott top tier director I would say he's an elite does he believe in the, the things of the elite I don't know but if you see Scott Free at the beginning of the movie you at least know it's not going to be a bad movie you know, at least it's going to be visually somewhat good uh, he's legit and he's got a few movies in my top tens The next point I want to talk a little bit about is the movie poster and color analysis. So the movie poster is pretty interesting. It has the an egg, but it's not the actual egg you see in the movie. This egg was actually modeled after the trailer that they had made. So if you watch the original trailer, there's like a it looks like a regular chicken egg that's cracking but when it cracks it starts emitting this like neon green mist and then at the end of the trailer it's got the tagline in space no one can hear you scream I guess the point is if you're in space you're in a vacuum and there's no sound eh, I don't know it was a good tagline though it was pretty clever
I dig it. But yeah, in the in the or the poster, you can see the egg in the middle. It's cracking, and this green is coming out of it. And that's kind of what I want to focus on. Uh, it's this uh, this neon green that they used. Uh, I actually started searching to see if they had used this color before in posters. Uh, and I could only find like a, a couple examples, usually with horror movies. I think one of them was like the Swamp Monster or something like that. But his uh, his the title the the color of the title was kind of a pretty neon green. I don't know if it's technically would be called neon green, but it was gearing towards that thing, that color. But I feel like. Maybe Alien was the first one to really, especially because they use it with with next to black, and that helps it pop out more. Um, but it wasn't that common, and I feel like they were the first big movie. All the other movies I found, they're like eh, movies people that aren't really that big. But this is the first big one. What's my whole point about it? Well, let me get into a little bit of the background of Neon. But what's interesting is the neon colors didn't even exist till the 1930s. So in when thinking about color, it's actually pretty pretty new. It hasn't been used that much. This movie came out in 79 and the 80s is considered the decade of neon. So it's kind of interesting that Alien kind of helped bring in this neon wave or whatever. When you think about the 80s, you do think about like like electric blue and like that neon purple. And when I when you like uh, when I go into YouTube to listen to synthwave mixes, they always use the like neon purple and neon yellow, neon green to kind of represent that 80s vibe. Um, and so I'd like to think uh, Alien has part part to do with it. In 79, it became such a big thing. Kind of launched that whole thing. Uh, the interesting thing about the flu flor fluorescent ne or neon is that they, uh, they're just not a regular color. They look that way because they're actually emitting light. And... Uh, the guy had to invent it or who invented it used this like special mineral or something. I forgot what he used to make these neon colors. And that ended up becoming uh, what we know as day glow, which uh, we still use for like construction workers. They'll have that day glow neon yellow uh, vest uh, because it catches your it catches your eyes so quickly. There's something about it. Something about the light. We're like an insect looking into the light. And we see neon. We're like, hey, 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 what, what, what's that? Um, it was hard to make it, but apparently when we get into, like, uh, computer screens, since those, like, LCDs and stuff are actually emitting light, it's a lot easier to make, uh, make neon green digitally. Uh, a little side note with the neon green. Uh, if you listen to my mRNA episode, 
I kind of talked about it, but I'm going to go into more detail in the second one. But uh, in a lot of vaccines and vaccine um, development, they've been using this thing called M-Neon Green. And they've also been doing a lot of, you can actually see pictures of these. They have like glow-in-the-dark cats and rats and goats and all kinds of stuff. They make these things glow in the dark and then they, apparently they like sell them in China. You can have like a glow in the dark cat. But they're genetically modified and they're all modified with this neon green. Um, why? I don't know. Just an interesting side note, I thought. Uh, and I was looking through an article I found about neon colors and... Um, one of the ones that we see the most is called uh, UFO Green. And the color code for it I thought was interesting. Um, number 7, FFF00. Uh, if you do some basic numerology, you'll know that F is the sixth letter. So if I just converted that right quick, uh, seven six 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 zero zero would be the code. But actually, I don't know because if you, I think it's six is actually if you put six in there, you'll actually come up with a different color. I just thought it was in, pretty interesting that it just happened to be that. I don't know. I think there's something in everything. So. There's that. Looking into the psychological like trait of the neon green. So normally like a regular green makes you kind of think of uh, the spring, you know, trees, grass, growth, environment, usually pretty positive things. But it, it also makes me think of uh, money, the color of money. I don't know if that's a positive thing, but that's just what I think of. But on the opposite side, the neon green, when you get into neons, it actually, it almost like does the opposite. It becomes the, the opposite meaning. And when you think of neon green, it makes people think of chemicals uh digital things kind of and also like the matrix code because when you watch the matrix the code running down is in that neon digital green and actually if you watch the matrix how you know any scene that's actually in the matrix there's a green tint to the whole film or not to the whole film but the parts within the matrix are more and more green um, you might be wondering, like, why is he going into green? Because I think there's something about it. I don't know what it is yet, but there's something up with green. All right. Let me just leave it at that. And when you see neon green, think about what you're seeing. Like one of the, my first memories of neon green is the ooze from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And the ooze is what made uh, 
made the regular turtles mutate and turn into the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Interesting. Also, Neon Green is actually in the movie. It's the blood of the alien. Uh, when you see the blood come out. It, and actually, in the first movie, it's not as fluorescent. But in the second movie, Alien, Aliens, uh, I think they show it off a lot more. The acid and how, how bright neon green it is. So... Is that what they're trying to do to us? Is that they want our blood to turn neon green and be highly acidic? Interesting fact: if you're if you're highly acidic, if you have highly acidic blood, a lot more uh, likely to get cancers, certain cancers. And supposedly one of the keys to that is to keep your blood alkaline. Uh, look into that if you're interested in that. Um, but another few things that neon green can represent is fun, frivolity, I guess if you like frivolous things, and excess. Which to me that describes uh, the whole, what we're in right now. Everything's about fun, frivolity, and excess. So the, the next person I want to quickly do a little thing about is the the guy who wrote the, the story to Alien. This guy named uh, Dan O'Bannon. Uh, and supposedly he originally wrote the story with uh, another dude, Ronald Shusset. And uh, he came up with the, uh, the story and uh, they just started modifying it before they finally did anything. This guy has also worked on, uh, he wrote and directed Return of the Living Dead, cool movie. Uh, he helped do computer animation for Star Wars. And he also worked on Dark Star, Heavy Metal, which uh, if you go to the episode of me and Charlie the Cookie Baker, we talk about Heavy Metal. And apparently Alien was, um, they had some like side stories about the Alien, about the Xenomorph in some issues of Heavy Metal. I'm talking about the actual magazine that would come out. And then he also did Total Recall. Interesting. Total Recall will be making. I'll be referencing that in uh, my Elon Musk episode. So hang on for that. Um, yeah, and so he ended up working with, uh, for Darkstar, he ended up working with, uh, John Carpenter, who is, like, another director that I'm a big fan of, especially his 80s movies. Um, when he, like, The Thing is, you know, he did Halloween, he did The Thing, uh, he did Escape from L.A., Escape from New York. Um, pretty cool director and he's got interesting themes in his movies as well so in in Heavy Metal he wrote two of the segments Soft Landing 
which is the the intro the one with the the corvette falling down from space onto earth and he did b17 um he also did um he also scripted a movie called i just saw this a few months ago called life force was it called something different I think they might have called it something different. Or it could have just been Life Force. I think the Europe had a different name for it. Or maybe the US did. But yeah, that thing's about like psychic vampires. Hmm, interesting. This dude's all about AIs, vampires, and zombies. And Okay, I mean, maybe that's just what he's into. Oh, one of the interesting little notes I put down here is... um. When, because uh, at first they weren't going to give him the right credits and they changed his story so much that O'Bannon kind of was like, you know what, like, screw this. And they kept trying to, apparently they kept trying to steal the, the story from him. They would like change some of the character names. And then, and they're like, uh, yeah, this is our story now. And he was like, what? So apparently he had to fight like tooth and nail to actually be. But in the end, he was put on there as the as the writer. And apparently, when when the movie first started showing, he uh, this I got from watching the the making of Alien that uh, he felt like he didn't get the proper respect, and he was pissed off, and he was driving around. And then he he describes that he goes into like a weird daze or something as he's going to the theater and he decides he's going to check it out and he just remember, first he's in a in a, a in like a complete rage it's like fuck that thing and fuck the company and blah 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 and out of the rage something flips in him and he turns and he goes into like a another state we'll say and he sees that there's a big old line for his movie and gets out and he starts heading towards the front and uh shuss it sees him who's the uh, helped helped him write the thing and was one of the producers and uh this is what Shusset says i wrote down this quote when he saw dan come out he said dan he was quote he was like a man possessed, just like terrified. What what does that mean? I don't know. S seems like a weird way to describe somebody, but this is what they decided to put in the documentary. Yeah, I just thought that was interesting. So, so yeah, this Dan O'Bannon dude, pretty pretty good writer um, but where's uh, where's he getting his inspiration from I read somewhere in the thing that it might have been Shusset or it might have been Bannon but the whole idea of how the alien kind of like uh, impregnates you in the sense uh, one of those guys said they got that idea from from a dream the storyline or the, the 
the thought of how that's going to work came from, he said he woke up from a dream and just like wrote it down. Which, pretty interesting because a lot of other artists and stuff like that say, and some a lot of, and some scientific discoveries are said to have been discovered like that from dreams. So what are dreams? What's giving us these, uh, these inspirations? Who knows? I'm trying to find out. Who knows if I ever will. Alright, so the last thing I just want to get into a little bit is um, the art design for the movie, which its biggest influence is this guy, H.R. Geiger. Uh, I'm sure a lot of you have heard of him. He's probably most famous for this, for the alien design, but he's got a lot of other interesting, I guess I'll call it interesting work. But uh, Bannon, O'Bannon, the writer, he's the one that introduced Scott to the arc. And apparently Ridley Scott saw a painting called Necronom, Necronom, which to me sounds like Necronomicon. Necronom 4 was the name of the painting that Scott saw and fell in love with. He was like, oh yeah, this is... And uh, if you see it, it is the, it's definitely the inspiration for Alien. It's got that super long phallic head. <clears throat> and uh, when they showed it, supposedly, this is the story that when they showed it to 20th Century Fox, they were like, oh no, this is, this is too much. But apparently Ridley was like, no, we're going to use this. This is the, the vision that we have. And uh, he was the biggest inspiration for the for all the aspects of Alien, and a lot of the uh, the Alien surface, and also the uh, the Alien spacecraft, and also the uh, the egg, the one that they actually used. And like I said, throughout this whole thing, it's very H.R. Uh, Geiger puts in this. He's got this weird like biomechanical feel to it like like you know just like machine and flesh intertwined very uh kind of like hints at transhumanism um but the effect is kind of i don't know it makes you feel weird when you look at this stuff at least it does me because it's like uh, stuff that shouldn't be together being put together. And then all the sex overtones makes you just like, whoa. So one of the things I wanted to quickly mention before I get back into to Geiger is this. Uh, that this chest burster was apparently inspired by this guy named Francis Bacon, an artist. And no, I'm not talking... There's another Francis Bacon that's famous who... Uh, very interesting dude. I I ended up getting his book. He's got some interesting stories in there. But that's for uh, that's for another different time. I'm talking about the... 
because the that Francis Bacon is from like the 1600s, and they say he's actually, or some people say he's actually uh, William Shakespeare. That William Shakespeare is actually a character they kind of made, and it was all written by Francis Bacon, and that the real Shakespeare was like an illiter illiterate dude. Mm. But anyways, so the chestburster was inspired by this other Francis Bacon. From he had a painting called "The Three Studies for Figures at the Base of a Crucifixion." Okay. But this Francis Bacon dude was kind of weird. Apparently, he was uh, he was gay and he had, he was living with his boyfriend and um, apparently his boyfriend committed suicide. And it happened to be like the same day that there he was like gonna show off some of his some of his art. So people talk about that they went to this showing or whatever you call it of art and that Francis Bacon was walking around acting completely normal like nothing had happened. But his freaking dead boyfriend who had committed suicide supposedly was just like upstairs chilling in a tub or something. I was like, what? <laughs> and I looked at this... Uh, some of his art pretty weird shit like figures with like distorted faces and the one that did the inspiration for the chest burster it's like a, you see like liquid shadows coming out of like a, a dark room very, very dark you know I, I could only describe it but it only does so much just look into the, the the painting of paintings of Francis Bacon, and apparently, so yeah, this, and I think that one was supposed to be, um, if I'm not mistaken, that painting that inspired the chestburster. That was supposed to be um, his boyfriend committing suicide. I could be wrong on that, but he definitely had a different one for that. And how this relates to Geiger, apparently that's what inspired Geiger for the chest burster. This weird dark art. And um, apparently Geiger's got like a similar story to him, which is interesting. Uh, and in the making of alien you go into everyone kind of they're kind of creeped out by this dude Geiger they say he's kind of kind of kind of a weird person and he's always dressed up in black and you see pictures of him and you're like, oh yeah this dude's a fucking Luciferian <laughs> you can just tell you know he looks he just looks like a fucking dark weird dude you know he's into some weird shit some weird sexual shit, especially if it's all in his art. That's all he draws, like penises and vaginas. And, I mean, what's going through this guy's mind? Come on. So, one of the interesting facts about the chestburster scene is that apparently they didn't tell the actors that all this blood was going to come out. That way, they could get a more realistic uh, reaction and. 
that scene was supposed to have been done in one shot and those initial reactions those are the actual reactions from the actors uh, and in this story supposedly a stream of blood comes out and shoots at uh, Cartwright and that she quote here it says shocking her enough that she fell over and went into hysterics according to Tom Skerritt hmm interesting so yeah that the 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 realism of their reaction is supposedly what gave them the uh, those react those reactions that you see in the movie and apparently when they were first showing the movie during that scene like they noticed the, they thought people were walking out but it was actually everyone was moving towards the the back of the theater because they, they didn't want to be so close to the screen So the last couple things about uh, last things I want to get out right quick. So um, they used H.R. Geiger on all the alien aspects, and also they used him for the you know I kind of mentioned that the inside of the spacecraft and the egg chamber, and apparently he used dried bones mixed with plaster to sculpt much of the scenery and the elements. Now, when I read that, I was like, why would you use bone? Surely there's something you could use instead. But no, this dude, <laughs> this guy wants to use actual dried bones for his sculptures. Okay, that's not, it's not a little, it's not a little bit satanic at all. Like, no, of course not. Uh, <laughs> Veronica Cartwright is describes Geiger's set as so erotic. It's big vaginas and penises. The whole thing is like you're going in some si inside of some sort of a womb, or whatever. It's sort of visceral. Uh, and then he also designed that space jockey, which one of, was one of the big scenes. Um, and 20th Century Fox was like, no, it's going to be too expensive to make that thing. But with Scott's uh, motivation, they ended up, okay, we'll do it. And so Geiger airbrushed the entire set by hand and the space jockey. That's all his work. I mean, it's amazing. That's uh, for sure. Um, as far as the work with the uh, with the actual adult alien, uh, uh, apparently H.R. Geiger made this thing with something called plasticine, but he also incorporated a bunch of vertebrae from snakes and cooling tubes from a Rolls Royce. Hmm. So snake vertebrae, okay. So he's putting more bones and weird shit into the sets again. Dang it. Um, a lot of work was put into that head. Uh, in here it says, the final head had about 900 moving parts and points of articulation. And my favorite little part here, 
Part of a human skull was used as the face and hidden under the smooth, translucent cover of the head. So if you actually look into it and you look into, you know, alien's head is kind of, you see the mouth and then above it, it's all smooth. But in certain shots, they don't, for some reason, they didn't put this in the movie much. But if it gets hit with a certain light, there's actually a skull inside of there. You see like a human skull inside of that. Which kind of makes sense since the alien came from, I mean, he came out of Cain, and so he incorporates some of the human characteristics. And that's why I could say that, obviously, uh, the, the xenomorph is supposed to represent death. He's even got the skull, an actual human skull. I'm like, who's fucking, whose skull did they use like there's no mention of whose skull it is but they used a real skull inside of this thing like damn these fools are really going going for it they didn't want anything fake I think they, it's, it's weird all this goddamn demon alien shit uh what's funny about that is um apparently during the uh when they were first coming out, they would, they ended up putting the space jockey like on display in some of the theaters, and uh, apparently this group of people ended up uh, setting the thing on fire, or trying to at least. Yeah, they tried to set the space jockey on fire, and they said it was uh, because they were saying uh, it was the work of the devil. Maybe they were right. <laughs> oh, thing made out of freaking bones and skulls and all kinds of weird, crazy shit. I'm like, damn, this is this is crazy. Um, when I was watching the making of, uh, one of the guys talks about uh, about that how they tried to set fire to it, and he just and he was like, he just said that's that's great. He just thought it was so great, and then he starts like laughing. <laughs> They think it's of the devil. <laughs> um, make what you will of that. So, last thing on the HR Geiger. Um, yeah, super interesting dude. And I wonder what his, well, he goes into what his inspirations were for that. There was that Necronom, Necronom 4 painting. But he also had other um, books of paintings called Necronomicon and Necronomicon 2. Which, isn't Necronomicon supposed to like show you how to summon demons? I don't know, I haven't read it. <laughs> Some kind of legendary book that's out there called the Necronomicon. It's in that movie uh, Evil Dead. It's kind of about that. So he, uh, Geiger also went on, so he won like best art direction for that movie. And he, so he had an Academy Award for that. And, uh, he also did a lot of artwork for recording albums. Uh, How the Gods Kill, Danzig, Brain Salad Sur Surgery by Emerson, Lake and Palmer, Attack by Magma, Heart Work by Carcass. The Mega Therion by Celtic Frost, 
Eparistera daimones. Eparistera daimones. And Melana Chasmata. By Triptychon. Definitely doesn't sound demonic. Deborah Harry's Cuckoo. Frank and Frankenchrist by the Dead Kennedys. So, this dude's pretty big. And you, I'm sure you've seen his artwork before. And if you haven't, you don't know it, I mean, check it out. It's 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 cool. Um, if you're into dark shit. Uh, the last thing is that I found interesting about Geiger is that... Um, he had a relationship with a Swiss actress, Lee Tobler, who um, also died by suicide. And he ends up incorporating her into many of his paintings. Which is so weird because that's almost exactly what happened with the Francis Bacon guy, whose artwork was an inspiration for the chest burster and uh, I didn't look too much into that but I'm just like is that just a coincidence or is there something else going on here you got these artists who are into all these like dark themes and stuff and just so happens that the person they're with uh, kills themselves hmm Nothing to see there. Uh, so, yeah, he's got a lot of work. Look into him. It's, it's interesting, if anything. And Geiger dies in uh, 2014 from a fall. And in 2018, they, uh, they name an asteroid after him. 109712 Geiger. Named in his memory. I wonder if that's the one that's going to come to Earth and kill everybody. Alright, my friends, that's the, uh, that's my breakdown of, uh, the movie Alien. Hope y'all liked it. Can't believe it was this long. I was, I was thinking about it. I was like, how is my breakdown almost as long as the actual freaking movie? But, and I had a lot more stuff to go into, but eventually I was like, you know, this thing is getting out of hand. I don't need to go freaking uber dork out on y'all over every single little thing. Um, but I think I'll get the gist of it, you know. Most of it's about this whole AI computer connection and the aliens. That's the biggest thing I wanted to impart to you guys. But I hope you you guys liked it. Um, I hope it lets you see the movie from a different angle. And... Uh, yeah, the next one, I'm, the next uh, breakdown I'm gonna do is, is gonna be about uh, mainly Terminator 2, but also the Terminator series. And guess what? It has a similar theme. Interesting, huh? But uh, like I mentioned in the intro, if you guys wanna, oh, I would like to hear from you guys. Um, shoot me an email. WTF? Do I know podcast? All one word at protonmail.com.
P-R-O-T-O-N-M-A-I-L.com. Shoot me an email. Let me know what you think about this, what you think about some of my other episodes. Correct me on things that I didn't get wrong. Tell me I'm an idiot. Uh, Or that maybe, hey, you kind of agree with some of these things and maybe some other things I could look into. Or just shoot me uh, questions that uh, could be about anything, about uh, these types of subjects, or it could be like regular life questions. I'm not saying I have all the wisdom of the world, but I mean, I'm only in my mid-30s. But I might have an interesting view, or I might have an interesting take. I might be able to help you, who knows? So yeah, send that out to me. Let me know what's going on out there in your part of the world and uh yeah that's it um so see you guys uh on the next one and uh reach out to me and enjoy yourselves out there guys peace